This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 16 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, Fox Hunting in America and England. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell or hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. I am Glenn the Geek. And I am Helena B. And this is the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Happy Thanksgiving to all our friends in the States. Can you believe it's Thanksgiving already, Helena? I can. You can. I know. (laughs) This year has flown by so fast, but it's so exciting to be at Thanksgiving already. Pretty soon it'll be Christmas. Yeah, I don't know that I'm totally excited about the whole holiday season, but I'm just going to go with the flow. Well, I know why you're excited for Thanksgiving, and that's there's something that happens in your life every Thanksgiving that you look forward to. Tell us what that is. Well, um, coming up this Thanksgiving, we had, since I ride out with the Myopia Hounds, uh, we've got the great, big, happy Thanksgiving Myopia Hunt. And And for um, everybody who didn't... Didn't know what you said there. That's a fox hunt that they do on Thanksgiving Day. And she Did rides. I neglect to say it was Yeah, a fox you, hunt? you sort of neglected that. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a fox hunt that they do on Thanksgiving Day, and that's what today's show is about, fox hunting. Mm-hmm. Or chasing. I, I see now that they're calling it fox chasing. Uh, yeah, that uh, seems to be the politically correct term. I find that becoming popular down in the mid-Atlantic area. Oh, really? Fox chasing? chasing. Okay. Yeah, we don't chase. We, we chase. Um, you, you ours chase, is a drag. So yeah, we, we you chase, chase an imaginary them. scent that the hounds think is something important yeah yeah <laughs> booze <laughs> that's well, you, we have our own special kind of hound up here it's called the booze hound <laughs> uh, no no that's not funny it is funny <laughs> all right in the spirit of being thankful though i wanted to take the opportunity to thank all our fans and listeners from around the world every week we've added new listeners the last two episodes where we did the the, the Christmas episodes and the Christmas gift buying episodes were our, by far uh, the most listened to episodes. And we appreciate everybody that joined us for that. You know, we're, we started the Horse Radio Network as a way to build a community, in this case, a podcast community. And, and it's, it's for people all over the world. We now have listeners all over the world in many countries. And that's one of the nice things about horses is, is it eliminates all barriers. It eliminates cultures and everything else. If you're a horse lover, you're a horse lover. And that's really why we start. That's why you and I wanted to do this in the first place. That's right. Uh, and I, it, it's happening, and we're thankful to everybody who listens, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about us, and let's keep building this horse community and, and, and make it grow. And we get involved. Come, we want to hear from you, too. You know, we've got voicemail. We've got email. We want to hear what you have to say, and then we'll just spit it right back at you. And it makes for an entertaining podcast. And they can reach us. You can email us with any thought or suggestion, whatever, at geeks, G-E-E-K-S, at horseradionetwork.com. Or you can give us a voicemail at 
803-0025. And I did want to mention one other thing. We have three different giveaways going on at the same time right now on the Horse Radio Network. We have the 2010 giveaways that happen over at the 2010radioshow.com. And you have one more week. This is the last week to enter for the November giveaway. And we always give away cool 2010 World Equestrian Games merchandise. So check it out at 2010radioshow.com and sign up over there. And then at Stable Scoop, our show, we have two giveaways going on right now. Rods is giving away a bunch of the Christmas gift uh, options that we talked about in last week's show, and so is Equestrian Collections. And you can find the sign-ups for both of those over at StableScoop.com, so be sure to sign up. And we also list the full, um, what the products are for the giveaways. Right, and take a listen to those shows if you missed them. They were a lot of fun. They were a lot of fun. It was like virtual shopping for me. I'm still so getting those overalls, you know. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little later, too. <laughs> I got 60 entries for the pink overalls. So hopefully at the end of the show, we can read a couple of them if we have time. That would be great. Right now, right now, right I now. I know. Doesn't that sound familiar? If it wasn't totally, if there wasn't a hurricane going on right now, I'd be out there hunting. <laughs> maybe I need a horse first. But yeah, that, that might help. There. Well, you can hilltop. I can, without a horse. Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, well, today, <laughs> today's show, we're talking about fox hunting or, or fox chasing. Yes, this is, Glenn calls it my big week, but, you know, I, he makes it sound like I'm the only person who's ever fox hunted ever. Um, it, it is a big week for those of us up here in Massachusetts. It's um, the hunt that I subscribe to is the myopia hunt. And this Thanksgiving day is probably the biggest hunt of our season. It is a Thanksgiving hunt. Um, it happens on Thanksgiving morning. And, I and got, we uh, have to tell everybody that this is not just a day for those of you that hunt. There are thousands of spectators that line their backcountry roads to watch this thing. <laughs> yeah, that, thousands might be a stretch. Hundreds, oh, probably. It but... seemed like it. <laughs> there, it is as much fun to watch as it is to, to ride in. So, um, And, you know, the social aspect of it is just phenomenal. Um, and we have – and actually, I'm going to talk more about that in a minute um, – our special guest today, that we had a great interview with a fellow by the name of Alistair Jackson, and he's the director of the Masters of Foxhounds Association in the UK, and uh, he was just a wealth of information about um, fox hunting history, the MFHA in the UK, what their job is. We talked a little bit about the debate over anti-hunting legislation and where England is now um, with regard to, to hunting. Yeah, he had a couple of words of wisdom for us. Uh, so that's uh, that's coming up a little bit later in the show. And then we have a special co-host today. Um, this is a friend of mine. Her name is Cammie Beckman. And Cammie is also a subscriber to the Myopia Hunt. She's also the volunteer coordinator for the Hunt Events Committee. And that committee's job is basically to get uh, as many people involved in the hunt as possible, um, volunteering their time, which is no small task. So welcome to Cammie. Thank you. We're glad to have you on here. We're hoping that you can give us some of the juice uh, <laughs> that goes on behind the scenes. 
Hi, Cammy. Absolutely. Anything I can help with. <laughs> Hi, Cammy. Hi, Glenn. Good. How are you? All right. I probably watched you hunt a couple of years ago when I was up there for the Thanksgiving hunt. I was one of those people alongside the road. Oh, yeah. Watching yep. you all go by. And it is an amazing sight to, to see. And you usually get, what, about a, a 125, 150 riders on, on, on Thanksgiving Day. It's and definitely it is, one of the biggest. It is amazing to see you come across the field, see the hounds come across, and then the red coats. I call them the red coats. I don't know what they're called. But Stop it, the to red see, coats. To see the red coats coming and then everybody else following along, it is just amazing to see. It is. Cammie, would you like to correct him or should I? You can go ahead. <laughs> well, I already got my warning today not to call them dogs. I, oh, I did get that good. warning. My wife warned me of that this morning. She said, remember, they're not dogs, they're hounds. That's right. That that's why we were talking about. Well, okay, hounds, coats, pink coats, red coats. They're not red coats. They're scarlet. And oh, some people okay. refer to them as pink coats, but not because of the color, um, because the name of the fellow who first created the coats, his last name was Pink. So oh, they're actually I thought maybe scarlet. it was because they were drinking too much out of the flask. That too. And they <laughs> were actually pink. I. I... I think if you started yelling, the redcoats are coming. They might, you know, take up arms for especially the in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cammy, tell us a little bit about you. How did you get involved in horses, and then how you started riding with uh, riding out with myopia, and um, and then a little bit about what you what you do as volunteer coordinator for the hunt. Oh goodness, that's a whole lot of stuff. Um, well, I got bitten by the horse bug very young. I think I was six or seven. Um, we moved all over the place, so I did every kind of horseback riding imaginable in uh, the West, because I, I am from the, the Midwest area. So a little bit of Western saddle. Um, Virginia, got spent a lot of time in Virginia, so started in English riding. Um, started doing some cross-country. Lived in Germany, and I worked, um, I lived with my family. My father was uh, a military officer, and he was under... Um, a man named General Burton, who is quite an equestrian. Um, and so General Burton kind of kept my enthusiasm for riding going while we lived in Germany. And then, um, I don't know, just kept, I, I took time off between college and different things, but got back into riding um, uh, probably four years, three, four years ago, uh, where I discovered fox hunting for the first time. Ha-ha. So, and I <laughs> Exactly. Now now the interesting stuff begins. (laughs) So yeah, you know there there's something that's completely different about riding cross country to hounds. That um, I think until people try it, they have no idea what um, what what a thrill it can be. Would you agree, Helena? Oh yeah, yeah. There's nothing like you wake up on a hunt morning and everything's just a little bit faster, a little bit more exciting. You can feel your blood pressure rising and you know my I know on hot mornings I I shake to tie my tie you know my my fingers shake and (laughs) I'm you know I have a little checklist on my kitchen counter don't forget your hairnet don't forget your pin don't forget (laughs) your boot poles you know um and and it's and it's all because of that first when you hear the horn for the first time where you set off at a gallop for the first time or whatever you're going to experience that day. That's it. You just don't know what you're going to experience. I have to tell you, it's in the blood too, because my wife heard me putting that little sound effect together with the horns and the hounds. Yeah. And that you just heard. And she said, I'm getting goosebumps. So she, you know, I think it's just in the blood. Let's tell people a little bit about the history of fox hunting so that we can, uh, 
and, and a little bit about how it works. Uh, actually, fox hunting existed in North America since the early colonial days. Um, there were actually record, the first hounds that were imported was in 1650. Arrived in Maryland, a uh, guy by the name of Robert Brook uh, came with his family and his hounds, and, and that was the earliest record of hounds actually showing up here. Uh, and it, actually, the first record of American fox hunting as an organized hunt, as a pack, like you guys write in, was the 6th Lord Fairfax in 1747 in Northern Virginia. So we've been doing fox hunting for a long time in America. Mm-hmm. And one of the funny things was that one of the quips I read, George Washington was the first, who was the first president, obviously, was an ardent fox hunter, and he owned his own pack of hounds. And yeah, actually, yeah. in his diaries, you get a kick out of this, in his diaries, they're laced with references of, the fox, of hunting the foxhound near the nation's capital. And it says in his diaries, on one such occasion while Congress was in session, hounds ran, ran near the <laughs> Capitol, and many of the congressmen ran outside to watch and join, hopped on their horses, horses and joined in the chase. So, Oh, yeah, I yeah. can see that. That would totally be me. Yeah, well, that, that, can you see that <laughs> happening? Flying the steps of Capitol Hill, <laughs> yeah. hopping on my mount, <laughs> taking off the guns. So even then, the Congress was goofing off and not doing much. So there <laughs> And actually, the first uh, foxhound club was established in 1826 in Canada. That's the first North American one. Uh, And in the United States, it was the Piedmont foxhounds were established in Virginia in 1840. But I think myopia was right around then. I think they were. Uh, Myopia was 1882. Oh, so they were a little bit later. They were actually right after the Civil War then. Yep. Uh, so and actually, both of those packs, the Canadian one and the United States one, there in Virginia, are going today. So uh, they're still around. Now, oh, I, a couple things today. too: uh, for a new hunt to be registered and eventually recognized, they must have twelve couples. Can you explain what couples are? Now we're talking about the hounds here. Um, uh, couples is are that for you, what? Helena, or for me? You go ahead, Cammy. A couple, well, they, they talk about hounds going out as couples, um, and so there's always uh, two a set, basically, of hounds. Um, so you count them in, in, in twos. So 12 couple would be 24 hounds. Okay. But they aren't really couples like boyfriend-girlfriend. It's just they're all out there together. They're coupled up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, okay. And, gotcha. and, and oftentimes they'll have um, an older, more experienced hound that, this is, I think this is where the, the term came from. Um, they have an older, more experienced hound who they will couple with um, a, a younger hound to sort of show them the ropes. So it's sort of like, sort of like having your swimming buddy when you're swimming. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You could, you could say that horse husband. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there are two types of hunts that everybody should be aware of, and that's a, dr- a drag hunt and a live hunt. Um, and I think I'll let one of you explain the difference there. Uh, well, a live hunt goes. Um, a live hunt will follow live quarry, like uh, fox or badger in the UK, um, coyote, sometimes deer. Uh, for the most part, I think in the United States, live hunts go after fox and coyote. Although there are some hunts that follow wild boar. Like, hello, <laughs> where is there really? a wild boar? But Maybe. okay, Texas, um, Georgia. Yeah. yeah, it might be Georgia. I think yeah. um, I'll have to check the Chronicle of the Horse. They have a good. Yeah, Georgia's listing. where we got that picture a couple of years ago that a kid that killed the big one that like was a thousand pounds or something. Oh, a boar. The wild, the wild boar. Yeah. So uh, well, then that, that that may be maybe where it is, but yeah. um, so usually it's it's live quarry and um, I 
in the United States, for the most part, fox hunting, the goal is to send the fox to its den um, and without a kill. It Sometimes, it's, it's rare, but it does happen that a pack of hounds will bring a fox to its death, but that is not the goal of live fox hunting in the United States. Now, the goal of, of live fox hunting is to go fast and jump high. Well... <laughs> That one comment, Glenn, is going to get us in so much trouble. Cammie, <laughs> hmm. maybe you can explain drag hunting for Glenn. Well, drag hunting is where a scent is laid ahead of time, and it's a, it's a bit more um, uh, organized, I guess, in that uh, somebody actually knows where we're going. And on dewy mornings when you're out in a field and they say that you, know, you hear the hounds on the line just about to find the line, you can sometimes look across and see where the little ATV vehicle has pulled the scent ahead of time. And you can actually find where the fox is going, too. So that's how they do it? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> do we and get they to don't... see tally-ho when we see the ATV? <laughs> as, as I we understand. sometimes chuckle and say, oh, so, I think I know where that hound's going. Is it the master that runs the line then, puts it out in the morning? Uh, no, it's usually the huntsman. The huntsman, huntsman okay. and somebody else in the um, hunt who just kind of pick the countryside and figure out where to to lay the line. Okay. And, some and hunts, some drag hunts have actually a dragsman whose job it is to strategically lay the line um, to most closely replicate a live hunt. Yeah. Um, and- sometimes you can actually lay a scent that's like one continuous route or um, – you can also have, if you've got somebody who's, who's specializing in laying the, the line, um, they can lay it so that the hounds actually have to find it and, and work it, which I, I think is kind of cool. This is something that I've just recently come to learn. Yeah. Well, there's actually 171 organized clubs in North America, which is a lot higher than I thought it was, was actually. So that's a whole lot, and that's in that's in all of North America, and it exists. Actually, there are 35 states and four Canadian provinces that have clubs. Did you get that from the MFHA? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yep. And uh, the first one, actually, the Masters of, now that you mentioned that, the MFHA is the Master of Foxhounds Association. It was established here in the United States in 1907. I think that the British one, we'll talk to Alistair about it, but I think that the British one was a little sooner than that. It's funny you mention hounds because I just got scared here by a hound who put his her nose underneath my arm. <laughs> that would be a greyhound, That'd right? be a greyhound, that's correct. My greyhound <laughs> just came over and said, you're talking about hounds? <laughs> Are we going running? <laughs> Aw. <laughs> little different kind of hounds there, bam, different bam. Kind of hounds. Greyhounds are sight hounds. <laughs> so the M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-M-
Good. Well, you sound like you're sitting next door to us, and we have an ocean apart, and we're so <laughs> glad that you were here with us today because, you know, fox hunting is, is in, in Helena and I's blood, and we enjoy it. My wife loves fox hunting, and, uh, you know, we all I love watching it. I love hilltopping. So tell us a little bit about you're the director of the MFHA, which is the Master Foxhounds Association in England. When was that established? Was it the first one? Yes, it was. We were established oh, 150 years ago, um, nearly 200 years ago, uh, originally to, um, ar- to uh, sort out disputes between hunts when they had boundary disputes. And of course, those were the days when a lot of hunts were organized by individuals who hunted on their own estates and they would fall out with their neighbor. And, and the, um, the MFHA were brought in to, to sort those sort of problems out. But of course, under modern conditions, uh, it's very different. Um, we're the administrative body and the governing body of hunting. And pre the, the temporary ban we're under at the moment, of course, we had uh, the strict rules and disciplinary procedures to make sure that sport was organized properly. And the greater part of our job here is advising masters and hunts on all manner of things. Um, from the technical side of, of hound management uh, to the management of their, of their countries and all sorts of technical things such as the, the regulations for um, uh, the picking up of fallen stock from the farms, which is a service the hunts provide. Uh, and I could go on forever. We're involved in um, the management of point-to-point racing. And, of course, we run the Foxhound Kennel Stud Book, which has been running for over 200 years, um, with which every foxhound bred in this country, you can be traced back uh, through those stud books 200 years and so further I, in some I, cases. I think a lot of people don't realize that, that there are stud books kept on the hounds, just like there are horses. The, the stud books, the foxhound, the foxhound is probably the almost certainly the, the best, most accurately reported uh, and recorded of any breed uh, of any animal. Um, as I said, we, the stud books in this office now go back 200 years, and the old family packs, uh, such as the Duke of Beaufort's, will go back a lot further than that. And, of course, a lot of your hounds in the States are, are based on, on English hounds and, um, and would trace back through our stud books as well. You know, I, could, I just picture these books for some reason being these big open books <laughs> that you hand wrote with the ink pens. You know, I just picture that for some reason. I do, too, well, like the monk somewhere. <laughs> We've, they are lovely old-fashioned books. One is produced every year with the hounds that are entered by that pack each year. Uh, uh, and um, they, they are in nice leather-bound volumes. Uh, They're not written now, by we, hand we anymore, are, on, are they? We are, we are, on, we are computerized. Oh, okay, well, just checking. <laughs> and we work very closely with the All Masters of Foxhound Association in America. Colonel Dennis Foster does, does my job with you. And we're, we're a global, really, now, fox hunting, and um, we, we meet several times a year uh, at various things and, and talk regularly. How long have you been the director of the MFHA in the UK? I've been direct uh, uh, 11 or 12 years now. And uh, what did you do prior to your position? Well, um, when I was at school, we had packs of beagles at, at my school and then at my agricultural college, and I'm afraid that diverted me from a more... Um, sensible route in my life, I suspect. <laughs> uh, and um, so all I was qualified to do at the end of that was to be a master of foxhounds. <laughs> and I, um, I did just that. Uh, I was a master of foxhounds at 21. And I hunted over the time, over 25 years, I hunted five packs of foxhounds as a master and a huntsman wow. at the same time. 
And, um, and then, of course, when I gave up, I got more involved in the management of hunting. I worked for what was then the British Field Sports Society on their public relations for a short time, and then, um, and then um, joined the Masters of the Foxhound Association. That's a, actually a, a lovely progression if you're getting out of the active hands-on part to kind of go into something more administrative, still, to still I, be I involved. Think it's important. I think it's important that the person in, in my shoes has had hands-on experience as a practitioner yeah. if you're going to have authority talking to people who are trying to do the job nowadays. Under much more difficult circumstances, I might add, I take my hat off to all of them. Absolutely. Now, do you have member hunts the way we have here in the United States? We do. Where do you? We have okay. 184 uh, packs of uh, hunt, packs wow. of hounds recognized by the Masters of Foxhound Association. Of course, on top of that, we have the other hound associations, the deer hounds, the basset hounds, the harriers and beagles, uh, and the mink hounds, etc. Um, so altogether, there are some 400 packs of hounds in this country hunting. Oh, my. Oh, wow. my. So and they... the umbrella, the umbrella organization also operates from this office of which I'm director, which is the Council of Hunting Associations which is perhaps needlessly complicated to tell you, but all those other associations um, operate under, under that umbrella, which, while we're in this political situation, does help because we can speak for all of them. Now, tell us a little bit about that. You've mentioned that twice now. So what we heard a couple of years ago here in America, it was big news that you were having all this legislation and all the debates and all that stuff. How has it ended up and where are you at now as far as hunting in England and I guess Scotland and Ireland, too? Indeed, it doesn't affect um, it doesn't affect Southern Ireland, okay. um, but um, the, this this present Labour government, when it was under Prime Minister Blair, um, brought in the Hunting Act. It was fought for many years by our organisations and the hunts. There were uh, at one stage the largest demonstration ever seen in London. Just under uh, half a million people walked in London, marched, and I might add a large uh, um, contingent from the United States came with the stars and stripes waving. Um, well. They were very welcome. And, um, uh, but, but at the end of it, uh, this act was produced. And as always, um, it was a, a blatant example of political prejudice. Blair wanted to get another uh, piece of legislation through, and he uh, was promised that he would get the votes from his left-wing members of parliament uh, if he gave them the Hunting Act. So what and, does the uh, Hunting Act say? What does it not allow well, you to do? Well, it's quite complicated. It basically okay, is meant to ban hunting with dogs, they call okay. it. Um, and the first course, big sin. It's completely sin. unworkable. It's unworkable <laughs> and unfair. Um, the, we were determined, because it has, um, the, there are various hunts uh, at the moment are uh, trail hunting. Uh, officially, they're hunting an artificial scent. They are um, so you can various do exemptions. There's various exemptions under the Act too, uh, which are which are complicated. But so, Alistair, you can you can do drag hunts. Oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. Okay. Um, but the um, the hunts. Our priority has been to keep the infrastructure of hunting going. Uh, in other words, the kennels, the hounds, the staff. Um, and, and the people who subscribe to those hunts uh, with a view to repeal of this act, which, it, which doesn't work. Um, what it does, it, it's totally negative. It puts uh, law-abiding law -abiding people at risk. Um, it diverts police time from, from real crime. Uh, it has no benefit for the, to, to the environment. And, of course, it, the, the bottom line is those people who supported it because they 
thought they were doing the fox or the other hunted species a favor were quite wrong. It does nothing for the welfare or conservation of the species. Because as always, it's the hunter who conserves the species. But the fox in England is every man's enemy except the fox hunters, uh, <laughs> the people who farm, the people who raise game birds. Um, now, with hunts very limited in the way they can um, control foxes, they can, to a certain extent, under these strange exemptions, um, but because their role is limited, other people have taken it into their own hands, and foxes are, are shot and snared uh, much more than they were before. And the fox oh, population so you're still, now is, you're still the allowed fox to population hunt. Now, the fox population now is much lower than it was before the Hunting Act. We're now entering our fourth season under the Act, but with a general election looming in the next one and a half years, um, the uh, opposition party, the Conservatives, uh, have said categorically, and it's in their manifesto, that given the majority, they will repeal the Hunting Act, which is, which is excellent news. And of course, it has given light at the end of the tunnel for everyone here who hunts, and um, everyone's determined to keep it going. Okay. I think it'll be what, much what more difficult. What do you think would be the, the greatest change if the act is repealed? What do you think would be the most beneficial change to the hunting community? Well, well the hunt would go back, back to, to hunting properly, hunting foxes. They would maintain, uh, as they're trying to do now, maintain, as they always did before, uh, a, a lot of the woodlands and things for the management of foxes to keep, so they know where to find them. Um, the people who've been killing foxes indiscriminately will say, well, hunting's back. We will now leave them. We like to see the hounds find a fox on our farm. Um, so the fox population will rise to a manageable level because hunting has always um, just managed the fox population uh, at a level, a healthy level, um, that's acceptable to those people who have to live in the countryside. And, you know, it's so funny think... because my wife uh, hunted for a number of hunts and, and live hunts, and... You don't. The misconception that, that people have is that every time you go out, you find and kill a fox. That's not true. She she would go out a whole season, and they would see one fox. You know, <laughs> you don't always see fox. Well, well, here in the U.S. Here in the U.S. anyway. The United States is quite different. That the management of foxes in England is more important, funnily enough, than the states, um, because of the the intensive stock farming here. I suspect, and, and the game rearing as well of game birds for shooting. Um, and the, and the, the actual um, culling of the fox population in the States has never been a priority. It is rather different. Um, but basically, the, 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 the sport is the same because people, as you know, uh, by going out hunting, people go out for a lot of reasons. They go for access to private land they wouldn't be allowed on otherwise. They go, some of them, to watch the skill of the huntsman and the hounds hunting, by, hunting a wild animal by scent. Uh, they go for the thrill of jumping fences. I was going to say, most of them go for the thrill of riding yeah. fast and jumping Absolutely. high. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's Absolutely. the age-old question. Do you, do you ride to hunt or do you hunt to ride? Well, some people, and that's always been the case, some people do one and some people do the other. But by far, most of them hunt, uh, hunt to ride. Um, but, of course, uh, hunting a drag is just hasn't, it, it's nothing. Someone said it's like kissing your sister. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, there's, it's not unpredictable. I mean, hunting a wild animal, you can have a fast hunt one day and run miles. You can do very little another day. It depends on the, the elements, uh, the weather, uh, and, and the wild animal. Um, and it, it's much more of a challenge. Uh, but, of course, what people don't go hunting for is to see a fox killed. The, uh, you're quite right. The management of the fox population 
uh, is a byproduct and a very effective one of, of hunting. Um, the only person who's really trying to, to, to catch the fox is the huntsman. There's only one huntsman. He's the man who, who controls uh, and guides the hounds and his assistant, the whiffer in. Um, other than that, as you say, people are out for a dozens of different reasons, uh, but not to see a fox killed. But the answer is hunting will, will thrive again uh, after repeal. More people will hunt again, and, um, and the fox population will, 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 will be raised again, and everyone will be happy. But we're not so naive to think that hunting would start again exactly as it was. I think to give our, our members of parliament and our our prospective members of parliament, um, argument with their constituencies, the case uh, we're going, uh, and also to keep the public and the, and the media, uh, make them realize we take this very seriously. We are uh, in the process at the moment of setting up a, a regulatory authority for hunting, an independent regulatory authority. So the management and the disciplinary side of hunting uh, would be managed by the various associations, including the Masters of Foxhounds Association, but this would be overseen by an independent authority, and if they didn't agree with what the associations had done, they could intervene. Uh, and, and so this would mean that um, it wasn't entirely self-regulation, it would be independent regulation. Okay. Now, it's interesting because you said you had 184 packs there in England. And just to give somebody a perspective, in the United States, if you live in the United States, England's much smaller than the United States land-wise, and we have 174. So per, per right. the amount of land you have, you have a lot of packs. The Virtually all of England, other than that isn't urbanized, um, is hunted over by a pack of foxhounds. Are you having uh, the that... problem then with the reduced... with developments being built and also the reduced amount of land available for hunting, the same as we're having here, or this, is that less of a problem? It's always been the case. Of course, development is much more controlled in, in, the, in the United Kingdom than it is in the, in, in the United States, um, because, I mean, coming over as a visitor, as I do to the States, it, 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 I, it saddens me that some of your towns expand quite so quickly, uh, and, and the roads can carve up the country quite so quickly. But, of course, you've got much more land to play with than we have dangerous and unwise to hunt in places where you could cause an accident or indeed upset people uh, where you're not welcome. Because the, the, um, the hunting in England is highly organized and that everyone in that area you're hunting has to be, um, has to be told. Much more complicated, I suspect, when, than the wide open spaces of the United States where you'd have fewer landowners in the area you're hunting in a certain day. I mean, some Well, it depends on what I part of the hunting. United States we're talking about, because in yeah, the... where Helena the, lives is... <laughs> yeah, we have a, a, a big part of our hunt secretary's job is a lot of the, the public relations goes into calling the I'm landowners, sure. and and sure. we, we can't go out without someone who's in charge of road crossings. And that's so, part of the reason I think that, uh, Helena, that myopia does a, a drag hunt is because they have to keep controlled where they go. Absolutely. Right. It's, yeah. And I have to give, we have a, a wonderful new huntsman um, named Richard Emmett, who is doing a fabulous job in re as closely reproducing a live hunt as possible in terms of getting the hounds working. Um, I know, instead I of know just... Richard because he came from England. Like, yes, like he did. <laughs> we are very happy to have him. We are so happy That's to good. have him. And he's That's really um, showing our field a lot about um, how, how well you can do... Uh, how well you can watch hounds work um, yeah. on a scent, on a, on a, a drag line. So That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's going to open up some new avenues for, for those of us here in the States. 
But but it's true. We can't um, because we don't have the open space. We don't have the contiguous open space to follow live quarry versus Virginia, the mid-Atlantic states down south, even the central part of the United States. You do have single landowners with much more space. There's not as much um, administrative stuff you need to do. And, and of course, when you get down to the deep south, it's even more so. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So I have a question. You you mentioned other type. There's the English foxhound, and then also you mentioned packs of beagles and things like that. Do they actually hunt on horses with other types of hounds? Yes. Really? The, 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 the horse packs um, are the, the staghounds, of which there are only three packs in England, all in the West Country. They hunt the red deer. And then you have the, the beagles that are hunted on foot. But the harriers also hunt hares. They're slightly bigger. They're followed on horses. All the fox, not all the foxhound packs, most of the foxhound packs are followed on horses. A few up in the north of England and in the hills are followed on foot. Um, the mink hounds are, are, are followed on, um, on foot. So, um, yes, it's, it's, it's entirely mixed. Huh. That's, That's I didn't something know I'd yeah. never heard of a mink hound before, and I, I thought I, I knew most well, of my hounds. Well, they used to be, um, traditionally, they were the old otter hound packs. Oh, uh, okay. When the otters were, were a pest on the river, and they hunt in the summer, uh, when there were massive otters, then, of course, due to modern farming in the 60s and, um, and pesticides, the otters became very scarce. And about the same time, um, uh, the mink farms that were farming mink, the American mink, I might add, um, for, uh, for fur, one or two of the animal rights organizations were, uh, raided these, these farms and let them out. Well, of course, they wreaked absolute havoc because the American mink is a very fierce animal. And, <laughs> yes, <indeed. laughs> and the otters, the otters then completely disappeared, and so did a lot of the um, riverside um, wildlife. Well, that so, worked, didn't it? <laughs> so, I mean, that's typical. Um, but so as a result, nowadays, luckily the otters are coming back, which is good. But the, the hunts, um, again, before the ban, of course, were hunting mink, which were a complete menace. And everyone agrees that now. Uh, so nobody's opposed to them. But, of course, they, again, cannot hunt officially um, because of the Hunting Act. Right. So, well, you know, usually when, when, when somebody tries to do something, quote, unquote, good, it results in something bad. Um, that's you know, that, true over this act. Yeah, that that happens usually because they don't always think about the consequences that come after by not doing something. But uh, we have great connections with the United States. I mean, certainly doing my job, I've been able to make friends all over the states, and there is a great connection. Firstly, with hound breeding, um, we've been using American breeds of hounds in England because they have excellent noses, because they've been bred to hunt under much more drier and more difficult scenting conditions than the, the English hounds. And, of course, English hounds are, are often used in the United States as well. So there's a, there's a great cross, crossing of, of hound breeding. And we have American judges come over here to judge our hound shows in the summer, just as the English judges go to America. Well, that's, pack, that's great. Will a pack use both English and American hounds, or is it one or the other? No. Uh, a lot of the American hounds now are called crossbreds and are just that. Okay. They're the best, best of the English breed and the best of the American, and I hope have the best of both qualities. And it is those crossbred American hounds that, by and large, have been used over here to great advantage because of their wonderful noses and voices. Um, so... Um, uh, 
you know, that, that's been a great success. We appreciate you being on today. It was, it was It's good to learn about what's going on over there in England and to, to know that you guys are still fighting the fight. Um, keep in touch with us, all right, and let us know. You have my email address now. Let us know uh, what's happening and, and keep us informed of any changes that go on, and we'll get you on again then. We'll, we'll certainly do that. Delighted. It's been lo- lovely talking to you both. Well, Lena, that was fun to have Alistair on. It's always fun to call overseas and have him sound like they're sitting in our living room. It was great. And yeah. he sounds so official, doesn't he? I know. He does. <laughs> he, I could just picture him. I just, you know, just like we had pictured those books that we talked mm-hmm. about. Do you think we offended him? I don't think so. I think he probably, he said they do have leather-bound books. <laughs> with I just pictured the little guy like on Bob Cratchit. You know, like on the in that you know sitting there with a little quill pen and the leather bound book. I just pictured that. I'm sure that's the way it was by candlelight, no less. Yes, exactly. Speaking of Bob Cratchit, with the holidays right around the corner, there is no better gift idea for you and your friends and your loved ones, and that's a custom sign from EasySignsOnline.com. Whether you're look, did you notice how I transitioned right into that? Wasn't that, that was good? Fabulous. That what? I'm getting better at that. Yeah. No, we do appreciate Easy Signs Online. They support the show. We wouldn't have the show without them. So, whether you're looking for a stall nameplate or spending thousands of dollars on an entry sign to your farm, Easy Signs Online is your place. And that's the letters EasySignsOnline.com. They're the leader in quality and price and farm signs in the United States. And they also have some great stocking stuffers this year with equestrian car stickers and name plates for your stalls and things like that. So you can check them out at EasySignsOnline.com or call them at 800-640-8180. Yeah, so I, you know, I thought that was fascinating. I think it's, uh, I do think, you know, I was kidding with you guys earlier, but I love watching fox hunting. Yeah, I think it, it's it is. Great. It's as, it's as a nice a sport to watch as it is to participate in. Right, I I agree. I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. So, Cami, tell me why do you hunt? Well, um, I I think being out with the hounds is the is the exciting part um, of what that what's different between fox hunting and going for a tra- trail ride is that you're you're um, you know you're working the with the hounds and you're watching them work. Um, but more importantly, it's probably that it's just a really fun social day out. And as a stay-at-home mom, there's just nothing like getting to spend a whole day on Saturday with my horse and with friends and doing something that I love doing. And the adrenaline rush has nothing to do with it? Well, the adrenaline rush is uh, <laughs> is is pretty good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is flying good... toward a four-foot stone wall and, you know, landing safely on the other side. Has a good feeling, yeah. <laughs> now, is that where cross country in eventing cross country really was a byproduct of hunting, wasn't it? As I understand it from years ago, I well, have I have no idea. Makes indeed. sense, but they're out by themselves. They're crazy. <laughs> they are crazy. Oh, Why would you want to go out all by yourself? <laughs> That's a really good question. You know, there's this qu- the the big question in hunting is: Do you hunt to ride or do you ride? to hunt and you know when you see these discussions go back and forth between friends and online it's different for everybody and I think it's split half and half some people really want to hunt and and see the hounds work and and you know if they're on a horse that's fine or if they're on foot that's fine too but I think for for me and it sounds like for Cammie we we're we're hunting to ride oh yeah yeah absolutely you know one of the 
what the, the, the parties are good too. <laughs> I was just yeah. gonna—that's one of my questions. Hold on to that thought. You know, getting back a little bit to Alistair. Obviously, he doesn't like drag hunts at all. Um, he made that pretty clear. But my wife preferred a drag hunt only because she said the live hunts. You actually, if if the hounds were not on a scent, you'd spend a lot of time standing around doing nothing. Yeah. And the one thing she said about, and I don't know if you guys disagree or disagree, is that the drag hunts were always so much faster. Yes. Faster, and, and, and I think and maybe this is just, um, you know, in our, our little world of having to have organized time, you have a more predictable start and end time and location, you know, so you get to make it back to the party in time, which is, as we said, is part of the fun. <laughs> um, so do, those, do you still carry those little sandwich boxes with the flasks in them? Oh, absolutely. Well, okay. everybody has their own way of doing things. So I would say. My sandwich box actually has peppermints for my horse in it. Okay. Oh, that's Does a it, great idea. No flask? That's my little treat and, you know, bribery for him. Um, I keep, carry a flask in my, inside my coat, but I am one of the very people anywhere in fox hunting world who carries lemonade in her flask. <laughs> so, Helena, what do you carry in yours? Water. Water? Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, you're like me. Well, most yeah, people, well, because... let's be honest, what do most people carry in their flask? Booze. Brandy, <laughs> sherry, Okay, whiskey. having attended a few of the myopia hunts, I can attest to that. Yeah. And, and, and there are a few of them that drank it all before they even started <laughs> and probably had to refill it. Yeah. Well, it is cold out there, and, and it does take the edge off. You know, like I said, your hands shake, and, you know, things get a little crazy and I, it's, it's understandable but I get so um so jacked up that I my mouth goes dry and I, yeah. I just all the water in my body just seems to disappear and um so I find myself after like the first good run I, I'm desperate for water so um I try and to I've seen you drinking Helena you can't handle much I can't no I, I have a glass <laughs> of wine I'm on the floor <laughs> she, she had two swigs and she'd be falling off at the next jump I, know. <laughs> I like so, to wait until the stirrup cup at the end so that we can, you know, once you're down and, and off the horse. Now, what's a stirrup the ground, cup? The stirrup cup is the party at the ah, end of the That's hunt. what it's called? Okay. Yes. Well, I don't know why they call it a stirrup cup. Do you know, Cammie? Well, they, they used to serve the drinks in these. Um, they still have them. I actually have a little collection of um, their pewter glasses with a fox head that tips if you if you place it upside down so the cup is open it rests on the fox head and those, those are called stirrup cups and they use those so that a, a rider could balance them in their hand easily and drink from the saddle so it's literally oh. a stirrup <laughs> cup oh okay oh. the name stirrup because they were drinking while riding yeah oh, yeah so you would be yes. on your horse at the end because normally i mean i think back in the you know early english days of hunting the landowner whose property you just rid of fox um, a bunch of foxes would serve you something afterwards as a as a thank you, and so you would still be on your horse, and you would have your drink, and then you would you know head off back to your home. Um, and now, of course, we put our horses in trailers, <laughs> right. and we have plastic cups, and we're on our feet. <laughs> That's because we've been drinking port for the, the previous three hours. <laughs> so tell us about myopia hunt. What, Tell us a little of the history of myopia, and we'll let everybody know that's just north of Boston, uh, along the almost along the coast, north of Boston. Give ideas where it is. Yes. 
um, well, it actually started in um, Winchester, interestingly enough. The first kennel was um, in Winchester, but they moved, I don't know exactly when, they moved up to um, Hamilton, where it is now. Um, but it's one of the older hunts, and it has a lot of um, great history. The myopia hunt was did start off in Winchester, but it actually started off not as a hunt, but as a baseball team. Well, it doesn't myopia have something to do with eyes? Well, because the 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 um, team of players, the fellows, were nearsighted. So, oh, so it does have something to do with eyes. Right, so they yeah. were the myopians, and that's how the name came about. Um, and then when they moved the club to um, Hamilton, I, and this is the part, I've never been able to find this out. There, I'm sure there's somebody out there who knows, that they switched from baseball to fox hunting. <laughs> now, how okay. you make that leap, I have no idea, but it was made. And... Um, and we should say now it is a very exclusive country club. Myopia is a very exclusive country club, and one of their big things, they they do hunting, but one of their big things also is golf. It's become a, uh, and I think actually one of the, I think it's it's how uh, some very big golf tournaments over the years, back 100 years, have been held there. So. Yes, the U.S. Open, the first U.S. Open was held there in 1908. Oh, really? Um, oh, wow. Designed by, I think, a fellow by the last name of Leeds, which is a big thing. I'm, I'm, I should know this because my father is a crazy golfer. But, um, so yeah, myopia, it, and it's rated as one of the top ten private golf courses in the country, over and over and over again. So it is a great place to play golf. One thing I want to make note of, which I think is kind of important, but I'm not sure why, <laughs> is that from the very beginning, um, myopia was a drag hunt. It's always been a drag hunt. Um, oh really? Okay. And Actually, I do know why. It, it's because the the um, subscribing members at the time didn't have the time to do an all-out live hunt. Like Cammie was saying, in our lives of of organized time, we need to have a predictable start and end time, well, a location. How long will you ride in an average, even in a drag hunt like yours, how long will you ride for? Um, on a Saturday in the formal season, three hours. Okay, so when you include the party and everything after you're and getting there, you're probably looking at five or six hours out of your day just for a drag hunt. Yes, right. So a right. live hunt could even go longer than that if they get on a line and you get further away from home. And Is that yeah. a hound? That's not a hound. That is a <laughs> corgi. <laughs> oh, okay. A long way from a hound. <laughs> oh, no. Corgis had some kind of hunting purpose, didn't they? Probably. Every dog's got yeah. No, no, no. They're herding dogs. They they're, herd. Okay. Oh, they, right. they do like okay. sheep herding. Right. Okay. They would herd the fox. Yeah. They try and get them to come, to, come home to bed. So why did the, did you, do either of you know why the Thanksgiving hunt became so popular and has become such a spectator sport and, and all of that up there? Well, I think that um, it's, it's so popular because it's the finale. It's the grand finale okay. of our formal season. Okay. So we start in September and we go through Thanksgiving um, as our real formal season, and we have four what we like to call the high holy days. We have the opening meet, the blessing of the hounds, the joint meet, and then Thanksgiving. So those are the, you know, so it's the culmination of a good season. It's also Mm. when they award colors. Okay, what's that mean? Well, that's when um, the people who have been hunting regularly for a number of years and who have provided service to the hunt in some form, whether it's volunteering or um, leadership of one sort or another, um, are if they're awarded their colors, they're... Um, Do they get the red coat? The men get their 
scarlet coach. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't learn fast, does he? No, he, he resists it, Cammy. <laughs> um, the women, uh, men and women both, put on a um, the cunt's color on their collar, on their top collar. Um, the myopia hunt is a kind of a canary, buff canary yellow color. Um, the men have it on their scarlet coat. The women have it on their black or navy coat. Okay. Now, explain to me the difference between the master and the huntsman and the whippers in and all that stuff. Uh, the master is the the head of all of the the hunt activity. So um, all he's the one who's encourage encourages membership and um, subscribers. He's in charge of the huntsman. He's the head honcho. He's the CEO of the okay. hunt. Okay, gotcha. It's she. a very honored position. Are there she's? Or did that was that traditionally a man's thing or? There, no, are there are she's. There are she's. Oh wow. And there are joint um, MFHs too. There are several hunts that have two people serving as master. Okay. Some three actually. Yeah. And there it's it's a quite honorable. Um, you know, it's somebody who has probably hunted all their life. Um, who has, you know, a great deal of time to invest in it because it's quite a um, time-consuming job. Yeah. Yep. Um, the whipper in, or we go to Huntsman next. The Huntsman is, um, is in charge of the hounds. His main purpose is to uh, be in charge of the hounds, their, their well-being, their feeding, their training, their breeding. Um, I don't know. And he's the one that takes care of them all year long. And what else would you, know, you add to that, Helena? Yeah, um, I, and we talked of, about that a little bit. Wasn't that Helena? What Alistair was? Uh, he was both. He said he was. Um, he was an MFH at twenty-one. He was a huntsman. Um, I'm not sure if he said he was a whip or not. Right. But um, if you know, if the MFH is, I mean, there are times where you can have dual roles. You can be huntsman and and MFH, but. Um, like if you look up a member hunt, they'll they'll list the staff, and sometimes they'll have the the MFH and his or her name, and then they'll they'll have the name of the huntsman, and in parens they'll say PROF, which stands for professional. So some hunts actually employ a professional huntsman in addition to their master, their which MFH. means they actually get paid to do the job. Right, and so their responsibilities are um, a little bit broader and a little bit deeper. Um, than an MFH when it comes to the hounds. Like like Cammie said, um, a huntsman's responsible for the hound care, training, breeding, um, hunting. You know, he is the one who actually sets the hounds off on a line. He, The huntsman casts the hound. So, um, yeah. Is he the one that blows the trump? What's it called? He or she. The horn. <laughs> the, horn. the horn, yes. Okay. So... They're the ones that do that, and do they also basically they're in charge of the riders that are out that day as well? Nobody's in charge of the riders. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, no, the MFH would be um, would be more in charge of the field, what they okay. call the field of riders. And there's and two fields, field right? Isn't there like two fields of riders, two groups, one that's the, the fast group and then the other that stay back and not do a lot of the big jumps? Yes, and that's actually what they're called the hilltopping field. The hilltoppers. Okay. The people who go around behind, like you were talking about, are just the caravan of cars. Okay. <laughs> so the hilltoppers are the riders who don't necessarily do the jumps, but they're along for the, the ride out. Right. right. And, and they oftentimes are up on a hill watching the first field doing a run and a series of jumps, and they, they take a slower pace, and they'll sometimes just stand and watch. Right. Okay. 
gotcha. they watch either the, the you'll see you'll hear first field or first flight and different hunts may have different fields so like one hunt might have three fields first flight second flight and then hilltoppers um where the first flight jumps everything and you know at full speed and then maybe second flight might take a slightly slower pace or they might go around a few jumps um so it depends on the individual hunts how many fields they have and then you have um in each field there's a field master who is sort of the leader of that particular field so like in our case, the hilltopping field master will lead the hilltoppers to a strategic place on a hill, like Cammy said, um, so that you can see the hounds working in the first flight jumping, which is – that's what's cool about hilltopping is not only do you get to ride, but you get to spectate as well. So you get to enjoy both sides of the hunt when you're a hilltopper. Well, you know, I have a story about myopia, and I want to hear your crazy stories. What's the weirdest things you've seen on a hunt? But my story of my first experience with the myopia hunt was my wife had just what actually was the barn manager up at myopia at the myopia hunt club and she had just taken the job we just moved to massachusetts i I swear it was helena you could probably help me out it was probably the first week she was there they they went out what's what are the hunts called before you get into the serious hunts the Roading. Oh, like roading and roading. Yeah. Yeah, where they're teaching the hounds and things. So she goes out roading and I'm at home. We just moved there and I get a call from one of the members of the hunt saying, Your wife's at the hospital. She had you remember this? It was like the first week she was there. So I get a call. I, I didn't even know where the hospital was. I had no idea because we just moved there. So I go find the hospital. Well, she had fallen off and broken her arm on her Wait first a minute, week no, on the job. She did not fall off. Oh, she yeah. She got bucked off. off. Yes, she the got bucked off. The woman was riding a bucking Bronco. She picked the spot <laughs> and she bailed. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, she stayed on for the full eight seconds. She would have won the rodeo because this horse was apparently bucking to beat the band, and but, she stayed on for quite a while. You know, it's funny because, and, and he was young, in his defense, he was still a little young at the time. Oh, he was a nut job. And the first group had gone <laughs> off, um, had galloped off and left the second group behind, which sometimes happens, and he just was having no part of being left behind. And she was trying, not knowing this horse very well, she was trying to decide whether or not it was a good decision to let him go. Or to insist on holding him back. Well, he made the decision for her. <laughs> Took her on a little bit of a roller coaster ride. And people had said to this day that they've never seen anybody ride so many bucks, such big and so many bucks. And then she finally decided to, to save her own life. <laughs> she got away with just a broken wrist. And this rib. was a big horse. He was like, if I remember right, 17 or 17-2 or something. He was big. Yeah, Cammy, you know Perry. Oh, my. That was Perry? Yeah. Yes, that was Perry. <laughs> I never let her ride Perry after that. She yeah. was not the first stable manager there to uh, to uh, break some bones on Perry. He had a little bit of a reputation. Oh, my. <laughs> I but think it was the it. initiation for the stable managers. He He's a wonderful horse, and, and he outgrew that little issue, I have to say that, in his defense. But, yeah, you're right. That was, like, the first week. <laughs> and she was back to work, like, the next day with her cast on. She was... Uh... Oh my. She had she had been an eventer, so breaking bones was no big deal. <laughs> yeah. So describe yeah. to us what 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 wild crazy things you've seen. What what was the wildest the craziest thing? thing you've seen out yeah. of camp? Oh my gosh. Um, well, uh, lots of falls. Lots of people, you know, falling, taking a jump before the horse landing on the other side. The horse standing on the other, you know, behind the jump. Um, uh, 
I don't know. That's isn't that usually what the crazy things are? Or the they're the dramatic falls. Um, yeah. I had one good one. I I had one when I, I when I very first bought my horse, and I landed on my head. And I swear, I got up and I was like, "How did I get here?" Oh no! <laughs> Is this my horse? Because I just bought him that week. And oh I just geez. Started, and <laughs> so I think I I don't think you get through riding in general, but fox hunting in particular without having at least one good story of, you know, a spectacular fall. Yeah. Um, trying to think of some other crazy things I've seen out there. Uh, the hounds always do something crazy. I mean, they're, they're pretty fun. Now, themselves. do any of them ever just run away? I mean, oh, yeah. do, or do they want to stay with the pack so much they don't? If they get a scent, if one of them pick, picks up a scent and is hell-bent on following it, they'll, they'll take off. And you might not see them until, you know, hopefully somebody tracks them down later that night, but it could be the next day. Um, you know, they're trained and, and, and are supposed to respond to the uh, huntsman's horn and the whippers in, and the whippers in will, will ride off to, to try and collect them back. But uh, they might. Isn't that the main job of a whippers in? We never got to the whippers in. Isn't that the main job of, of them is to, uh, to collect the stray hounds? And to corral them, to keep them, you know, um, with the huntsmen. Uh, you know, they have, they have the long whips, hence the name. Um, Isn't there a rule, too, that you're not supposed to ride a, in front of somebody or if you're a Well, a you were rider? asking about how, who, who keeps track of the riders. And yeah. The huntsmen, the hounds, and the whippers in are at the front. The okay. field master, whether it's the MFH, um, MFH the master, or whether he's appointed somebody else, um, to be field master that day is the one who rides behind the hounds, and they need to know what distance to stay away from the hounds so they're okay. not, you know, riding right up on their tails. Um, but it's and, a bad thing if your horse takes off and goes way in front of the pack. Oh, yeah, you <laughs> would really not want to show up to the stirrup cup that night. <laughs> or maybe you would and you want to imbibe. You want to seriously imbibe. Oh, and the other, there's another tradition. If you fall off in the hunt, you are supposed to bring a bottle of port to the field master. That is like oh. your. You're the one that is. Shouldn't he be bringing you the port? <laughs> Isn't that called the dirt club? I think it's called the dirt club. I think it's yeah, called the. the I think the, it's um, called carpet. bribery. So, isn't it the the um, it's like the carpet club, but it's the sod club or dirt club. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm totally spacing on what that's called. But do you know if you if you fall off, you've caused. Uh, you know, a, a, a delay in the hunt, you know, oh, potentially. Okay. You've, yeah. you've, like, created a little bit of havoc, especially if your horse runs off, you know, and then everybody has to go around screaming, loose horse, loose horse, and, you know, <laughs> and you're there oh, doing... what you do, what you do? <laughs> then you do the, what we like to call the walk of shame. That's where you have to go collect <laughs> your horse. And then, worse yet, you have to try and get back up into the saddle without right, a mountain right. block. Uh... <laughs> Have you ever fallen off during a hunt, Helena? Yeah, I have. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you've done the walk of shame? Well, no. You see, I, I got right back up on my horse. <laughs> that little bugger <laughs> ran up. I had to, to hang out with his friends. And um, so I my walk of shame was very short, but I got back on him as quickly as I could. Yeah, we were going at a full gallop, and he spooked at a coop. Um, he's one of those horses that's, that spooks when things change, when things go from one line of vision to the other. You know, bright white stuff and shiny things. We passed a coupe um, at, at a full gallop, and I hit the dirt so hard. 
It's so not funny. I mean, it's like, not funny, but it's funny now. It's not funny. I I know it is funny now. It it's I still walk a little funny from it. So um, <laughs> but you know I it's like we fox hunters wear our scars like oh, badges yeah. of honor. You know what they talk about eventers being nuts. They, they they aren't half as nuts as the fox hunters. I mean, you guys are going crazy, jumping over jumps you haven't looked at before in in a lot of cases. Um, you know, it's a little different where they get to go out and walk the course first. You don't get to walk the course first. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you're riding in a pack. Do you know what? That's more of it than anything. I really think. I think that uh, the jumps that you come to, a good, you know, your horse is gonna. Your horse is either gonna be a ring weenie where he likes to see vertical jumps on pole, you know, on rails on poles, or he's gonna be um, a fox hunter who who would rather face a three-foot stone wall mine happens to be the one who would rather face the three-foot stone wall they're they're good about that part that doesn't that's not whatever scares me i think what takes what it takes to be a true fox hunter is to have uh the horse that will work with a huge herd of other horses and be able to keep and riders with flasks and still listen to his riders (laughs) so no cammy actually has the best field hunter ever Whenever really? I go out, I put my horse right up that horse's bum because <laughs> he's the best bumper in the world. But I think Cammy makes a really good point because it's not so much the jumps. If you can ride and if you can jump stuff, that's not the scary part. It's going all out with a horse who's listening to his herd. You better hope that that horse is going to listen to you if you decide to raid him. You know, or or duck out. And, ah, I don't know what's on the other side of that fence. Some horses will just keep going <laughs> whether you want to go over that fence or not. And that may be a good thing, but you have to be able to – some people are control freaks when they ride. And you have to be able to let your horse make some of the decisions. And yeah. on the, the flip side, your horse has to trust you enough to let you make some of the decisions. And, you know, one of our long-term um, members, Patrick Keogh, said this so eloquently recently that um, it takes quite a few years to make – a truly good field hunter, you know, four or five, six years to really get that kind of horse that you can, you can trust and have a great time on every time out. So and that's what, what happened with Perry, right? I mean, he's been doing it for, I mean, he, he had all those antics with your wife, Glenn, but he's now one of the top horses out there. He's absolutely. Really? No, that's yep. That's interesting. And, and it was great that she stuck with him because you have to, you have to see the potential in the animal and then, work with it, not give up and and have a, you know, common sense. Yeah. I love Perry's owner, Pam, Pam, right? Yeah. yeah she's yeah. fabulous. She, she was great. I didn't like Perry much. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a compl- I did not know him back then. He is a, an amazing animal now. I've never seen the horse refuse. Well, Helena, you're going to have to tell Pam that uh, her horse was the highlight of a podcast and make sure she listens. Now. Oh, she'll be excited. Hi, Pam. She'll be, excited. She'll be very excited. He's a big, he's a really handsome horse too. And her mom has a horse. And this, this is what's so great about fox hunting is, um, her mom is a. I, I don't want to say how old she is, but she's um, senior, she's not, very senior yes, to me. Senior. And, and she still fox hunts. And they, they're two horses. Um, uh, Pam's mom's horse is a a, a big chestnut named uh, Chief, and then Perry's a a bay, and. Uh, I used to call them Biggie Fries and Biggie Shake. <laughs> I'd have to turn them out overnight, you know, and I had the chestnut, it was Biggie Shake and or Biggie Fries and 
Perry with Biggie shaking. You know, I, I could pass either one of these women on the street and say, Biggie fries. And, you know, they'll totally know what I'm talking about. <laughs> people kind of look at you like, what? You know, that's what fox hunting does. It brings people together on a level that's just, even through the pain and the fear and the excitement, it, it bonds you so tightly. Everybody, when you're out on your horse and you're going everybody's the same. The playing field is level. It doesn't how much money, matter how much money you have, how much education, you know, where your kids go to school. Everybody's in it together. And I find, particularly for me when I'm out there hunting, I feel very connected to my fellow riders. It just, Definitely. it feels like there's always somebody out there look, watching your back. Absolutely. And there's, you know, you're communicating the whole time with them. You know, you're talking about uh, which jump you're going to, are you going to, are you going to, um, take the gap uh you might be right up against somebody their horse might have a slower pace you're like i'll take the right side and you jump together um there's just constantly talking i don't know of anything else you do with horses where you're doing that other than maybe polo um where you'd be talking to everybody else and going at this incredible pace and flying through the countryside um you know if you're a stadium jumper all you're doing is raiding your horse and getting the perfect spot that doesn't happen in fox hunting. You're just you're just hoping, you know. You, yes, you rate them a little bit and you try and get to a good spot, but you got to trust that in a field of a hundred other horses, you're all going to make it over that jump without crashing into each other and fly off on the other side and through crazy countryside. That kind of how you feel, Holy Mouth. <laughs> yes, I'm totally <laughs> listening to you in awe. I'm like, yes, that's it. Stinks. And guys, I hate hate to tell you this. But it's been, we're actually over, a little bit over time right now. <laughs> we've had, it. we've just had so much fun here talking about, and Helena, I'm glad you're not passionate about fox hunting. Oh. You know, <laughs> you can definitely tell that Helena is passionate about fox hunting and Cammy also. And it's just been a lot of fun talking about this. And it's a, it's a, we're going to have to do another show on fox hunting to get into a little more depth and maybe do a round table with a whole bunch of fox hunters. But, uh, I, it was fun to talk about it. And you guys have you guys only have a day and a half till the big day, yeah. so that's kind of exciting. Um, and I, Cammy, we appreciate you being on with us today. Hey, hang out here for a minute. I just wanted to mention to everybody that uh, that listened to the last show, the show that we did with Rod's uh, Rod's Western Wear, uh, the gift buying show that we did last week. Um, we had a little contest where I'm going to give away some pink overalls. Rod's actually has pink, bright, would you say bright, bright pink, Alina? No, <laughs> bright. no, no, not hot pink. They're, a, they're, a, they're pink. They're not. They're very pink. <laughs> but but they're, they're like a pale pink. They're just yeah, pink. And they're coveralls that, that you wear in the barn. So I said, I challenged uh, the women of America to write to me and tell me why they deserve to win these pink coveralls, and I'll give a pair away next month. And I got some entries, and I wanted to read two of the top ones. And you can still go to stablescoop.com and go to the Rods link up there at the top of the page, and you'll see the entry, uh, what you have to do to enter for the pink coveralls, and there's still time to enter. But I wanted to read two of them to you, and, and again, we encourage anybody <laughs> awesome. to send us emails at geeks at horseradionetwork.com. First one was a little little less a little lighter than the second one but it says Glenn let me introduce you to the winner of your contest. My name is De- Deanna Men- Mendieta. Mendieta. 
her name rhymes. And all I wear is pink. I live on a ranch, and even my horse wears pink. My fishing pole is pink. My tackle box is pink. <laughs> my mud boots, pink. My camo, pink. My suitcase is pink. My nursing bag, pink. I am known as the pink nurse. I work with elderly, and sometimes they cannot remember my name, but they always remember that I am the pink nurse. My leather gloves, pink. My spur straps, pink. My cowboy boots, pink. My frying pan, pink. Her frying pan? Uh, she cooks. She has time to cook. <laughs> anyway, my measuring cups pink. All my ball caps pink. My bathroom is pink camo. But you can just picture this house. My kitchen bowls pink. My obsession with pink started long ago when I realized that pink was my color and is also my happy color. Sounds weird, but true. As the years have passed, I am 45, soon to be 46. I don't know if she wanted me to read that part. Pink has served a purpose. No one else takes anything of mine. Why? Because it's pink and everyone (laughs) knows it's mine. A surefire way to ensure my fishing tackle stays put is always buy pink. Yeah, no guy's going to steal pink fishing pole. <laughs> so, so I need those pink overall, overalls so everyone will leave mine alone and I will be warm when I go to cover my horse with his beautiful pink blanket. <laughs> so nice. that was from Deanna. So that one was high on my list. Uh, you know, I think, Deanna, if you send in a picture of you covered in your pink, holding your pink fishing pole, that might help too. Also, the second one was a little less... Uh, a little less fun than that one, but nonetheless was on top of my list. Hi, Glenn. There are a couple of reasons I'm interested in those colorful coveralls. First, I am tough, and I wear enough to. I am tough enough to wear pink. I believe promoting breast cancer awareness, as my mother is a breast cancer survivor, times two. I hope and pray that they find a cure as as it runs in the family, and I have a daughter who I hope never has to go through what my mother went through. Second, on, a, on really mucky days, we have a lot of those here in Ontario, Canada. I have to borrow my husband's coveralls. His is a men's size large, and I'm a petite 5'1". It's not a pretty sight. Hey, I don't complain. It keeps the mud off my clothes and saves me from extra laundry. Thank you for the chance to enter. I hope you have a great day. Sincerely, Tanya Hopkins. <laughs> so there, there's Tanya up there. Just being in Ontario, Canada, I think she deserves pink over, overalls. But uh, those were <laughs> Let's two just give the... pink overalls to all of Canada. Oh, that's right. <laughs> okay, just all of Canada. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to read those two. And you still have time. Go to tablescoop.com and follow the Rod's entry link for the contest, for the giveaway. And you'll see the directions there to enter for the pink coveralls. Uh, again, Cammy, we appreciate you being on. Uh, we encourage everybody to listen in again, again next week for a new Stable Scoop show. Don't forget to subscribe through iTunes right there, the link right on our website, so that it's downloaded to your iPod or MP3 player every week. And you can leave us a voicemail at 270-803-0025. Both of you have a very happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you again next week. Alina? We will be back with The Scoop. Thank you.